0: Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs' Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Well, welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. My name is Greg McDonough. I'm the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors and the chapter president of the Entrepreneurs' Organization of Washington, D.C. Today's guest is Warren Rustan. Welcome, Warren.
1: Thank you, Greg. I'm glad to be with you today.
0: It's great to have you. Uh, Warren is a husband, father, grandfather, entrepreneur, corporate leader, educator, speaker, and philanthropist. Uh, He was the appointment secretary and cabinet secretary to President Ford, He was the CEO of Providence Service Corporation, a $2.1 billion company, Rural Metro, a $600 million company, and TLC Vision, a $400 million company. For those math people, that's 3.1 billion. Uh, Warren Warren was the global chair of the World President Organization and is the current Dean of Learning for EO's Global Leadership and Regional Academies. He's a well-known speaker on topics of leadership, personal development, strategy, scaling businesses, entrepreneurship, and most importantly, family. A recently published author titled The Leader Within Us, Again, Warren, it's great to
1: have you. Thank you very much. I'm hearing that I'm tired. I don't know what happened. I
0: I do uh, have to ask you what you do in your free time, but I think we'll get to that a little later in the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with a focus on on leadership, um, I'd love to hear some insights. You know, we've had a lot of change over the past two years. Uh, Certainly, leadership is one of those the one of those places that we've seen a lot of change. I'd love to hear your insights on how leadership's changed over the last two years.
1: Yeah, I think it's been interesting. I think uh, the pandemic coupled with the global and international crisis situation that we're seeing developing across the world. I think that leadership needs to be rethought. I think that we need to kind of consider what traditional leadership has been in the corporate family community world and what it might be going forward because it might be considerably different change as a result of the pandemic, pandemic specifically. We're not going back to normal. It's not going to be the same world we've always had. In the same way that after 9-11, the world didn't go back, right? Uh, We can't walk to the gates in an airport anymore. We have to go through security. I think we'll probably always wear masks on airplanes going forward. so I think the world continues to evolve and change, and leadership has to change with it. I think, for example, I think corporate leaders who have been largely focused on the internal part of their business I think will now become much more externally focused. Addressing more the macro issues of leadership than micro issues of leadership. It'll be more about what's the world doing? What are the trends? How do we fit into the world? How do we access markets? What's the global currency and economic circumstance as opposed to what's our market segment? How do we get our widgets out the door? How do we become more efficient? Those kinds of things. So I think it'll be a bifurcation of duties with the CEOs of the future and the leadership of the future. So I think it's going to be quite different actually. And I think we're going to see millennials and others who understand the externally facing world a little bit better than more CEOs will have an enormous influence on the direction and scope of leadership going forward.
0: That's that's great insight. Um and as as we move into those or this new paradigm of leadership, talk to me a little bit about Preparation, right? It's right. You know, traditional university, traditional graduate school, traditional. You know, we've been farming CEOs and leaders in a certain methodology. Do you see that changing in order to sort of fulfill the the demand of future leadership?
1: I do. In fact, I see. I think we already see curriculum beginning to change. Historic curriculum around business leadership being technology, whatever it might be, as we move through undergraduate degrees and then MBAs and so forth, I think it's been pretty traditional for a very long period of time. I think we're going to have different kinds of courses. I think we're going to have courses about world events. So I think we're going to have courses about major trends that are going parts of the world. I think we're going to see that externally focused mindset begin to develop within academic curriculum. I think also there are those who are already in CEO positions who need to begin to adapt and adjust a bit to be more focused on those external events. Because what's happening in the Ukraine today as you and I sit here, is going to have broad implications for markets across the world, right? Gas and oil, for example, migration, immigration, all all those kinds of things begin to take on different patterns. What's happening in the European Union and the threats to the European Union. It's happening in Taiwan and the threats to Taiwan at the present time. Taiwan's the biggest chip maker in the world. And so what happens if the Chinese, for example, become adventuresome and ultimately take over Taiwan? What happens to the world chip market? Does that say about what's going to happen to the advocacy for new technology and the access to chips, right? So I just think there are a lot of things going on right now that are really important, even in our own country here in the United States. I think there are trends that are going on that we need to pay very careful attention to and i think the the great leaders of the future know that intuitively and instinctively are beginning to do that and i think there are others who are who are just hunkered down just focused on cash flow just focused on getting that next sale right And i think they are the ones who are the most vulnerable right now
0: so speaking to that audience the hunkered down ceo the the person who has been grinding it out right for the last two years because this world is changing uh, dramatically what are what are some steps or or mindset that they can have to start thinking a little bit differently or 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 put it differently how any insights on how to to help that ceo who's been so focused on cash flow so focused on making payroll so focused on getting the widgets out the door worrying about supply chain to step back from the business a little bit and think more broadly so they can absorb the global information that's available?
1: Yeah, I think so. There's a Buddhist word called Shoshin, S-H-O-S-H-I-N. Shoshin means to be the beginning learner, to have the open mind for learning. And I think that's where CEOs need to be right now, even if we've been really deep into our own business, trying to preserve it, protect it, grow it during this difficult time. We need to sort of look around to see that the world has evolved since the pandemic started. And it's changed markets, it's changed products, it's changed appetites, lots of things have changed. And so I think we need to be in a state of Shoshin and not be be the expert in our business, but become the beginning learner about the world. What's really going on out there? Our firm has been able to identify 12 major trends that are coming out of the pandemic already, and there'll be more but 12 major trends that are going to change the world as we know it. They're going to change everything. They're going to affect our families and our businesses. And are we as CEOs paying enough attention to those things to know that uh, what we might be offering in terms of products and services may have to evolve and change in order to meet those trends and those demands of a new society? So I just think we have to be much more alert, much more open to learning than we've ever been before.
0: Are you willing to share two or three of those trends that you've identified? Well,
1: yeah, some of them are. Some of them are obvious, right? So, um, online education. There may be about twenty percent of students who never go back to school, who will always do online learning. Well, that has a huge impact for families, especially if you have two income wage earners in the same family, right? If you have children at home all day, right? So that's that's a small but subtle yet dynamic trend for families in education, right? That also affects. The funding of education, it affects the number of classroom teachers. It affects a whole range of issues. There's a ripple effect and a multiplier effect to every small thing like that. Online work would be another one that's obvious. We have maybe 25, 30, 40% of workers who will never return to a corporate environment. They're always going to work from home. They're always going to work remotely. In fact, there was a very large private investment banking firm in New York on Wall Street who said all of our workers will be back by July 1st right? That's going to be required. Well, 40% of those workers said, if that's your requirement, we quit. We're leaving. And so this period of time we're living through, which is called the mass resignation, right? The great resignation period. We're seeing all kinds of people leaving their jobs, either for other jobs or to leave the workforce completely. So the labor dynamics in America certainly have changed right now. Placement rate, of people is 1.6, right? The average family has two today. So we're not meeting replacement value. There's going to be less labor in the future than there is today. We have the boomers who are leaving the economy. That's 78 million people. We have the millennials the who are growing in the economy. That's about 78 or 79 million people. So the world is dynamically changing as you and I sit here and talk today, Greg, and I think it's important. So education will be changed. The workforce dynamic is going to be changed. And the third one that I think is interesting, the geography no longer matters. Where you live no longer matters. So there's already an exodus from the major urban centers in America, New York, right? Chicago, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles. They're moving into the Rocky Mountain states. They're moving in the Midwest They're choosing smaller communities, more rural communities. Why? Because they can work from anywhere. And they can do it at half the cost that they could in those major urban environments. So we're seeing these kinds of interesting trends. What happens to commercial real estate if all this comes true? It was already upside down from the two thousand eight, nine, 9, and 10 recession. And now it's been hit again. But we're seeing shopping centers and malls with huge numbers of vacancies. Strip strip mall centers, huge numbers of vacancies. Why? Because people aren't going out there anymore. And then, of course, direct-to-consumer is a big issue. That's another trend, right? So this notion that before the pandemic, about 26 to 30% of people ordered online. Now, the latest number I saw was 72% of people are ordering online. What does that say about typical places that people go to buy things? If you and I, Greg, want to go to a wedding on Saturday and we need a suit, We can go online, be measured, pick out the exact fabric, color, everything we need and want, and have it delivered. Why would I go out to a commercial center to test fabric or look at fabric to do other? Why would I go pick up my groceries again when I can have them? I can drive up in front of a grocery store, they'll load them into my trunk and I can So there are lots of interesting things that are changing the flavor of America in the way in which we see our data. There are other bigger and more interesting trends, but but those would be among four that I would see that just kind of interesting, they change our behaviors.
0: Yeah, those are powerful observations for sure. You know, another one that I've noticed is this blending between corporate life and family life, right, we're now sitting in, I'm sitting in my bedroom, right, I've got a little backdrop so you don't see my dog sleeping on my bed, but for the last handful of years, my kids have been involved in meetings, my kids have been involved in my wife's meetings, There's been this blend between corporate life, company life, and family life that I also think has an impact on leadership and leadership style, especially within the home. Any thoughts or or reaction to that?
1: Well, I think traditionally, yeah, yes, I think traditionally the the home has been a place for co-CEOs to exist, our spouses and ourselves share the duties and responsibilities, generally speaking, of our family we each have our own things that we do well, right? And now that's been blended, as you suggest, in a way that's very interesting, because the children are overhearing all kinds of conversations relative to business and activities. Parents are interacting with children, even while we're on Zoom calls, you know, we're waving them off or asking them to be quiet or whatever it might be. And so it changes the dynamics in a family. And I think children are going to mature more rapidly and more quickly. They're going to, deeper knowledge of interesting subjects that they hear around the house that they haven't heard before i also think it places a tension on the family in many that we haven't seen before and that tension isn't always helpful and we've seen some social issues begin to develop as a result of that you know it's it's hurting kids to be isolated you know look hope for them not seeing their friends not interacting not socializing not developing those skills that are necessary to move through the adult world. seen some dangers and difficulties that we've seen, teen suicide has gone through the roof. So it hasn't all been positive as we see things that have happened in the home. But I do believe there are many families that have been strengthened by this. Many families that have done much better as a result of this and are much closer as a result. Many fathers and mothers who have been spending their time, long hours at work, now spending more time at home That interaction for many has been very positive. So I wouldn't want to paint a picture that it's all negative, but I think there are a lot of great things that have come out of this period of time as well.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed and implemented in my life in the regard is like when work stops, I need to have some sort of thing to do, like go walk in the neighborhood for 10 minutes or, you know, get into the kitchen to do some cooking, something creative and something different versus just coming straight downstairs and almost being absorbed into family life. And like, there's this little, you can, before it was in the car, right? You'd sit in your car, listen to some music, maybe sit in the garage for te- a couple minutes and you'd just decompose. So you're not bringing in whatever stress into the home. Now it's just down the hall. And so I've had to implement sort of personal development habits to make that
1: break. Well, it's great that you've done that because what we're seeing is that um families have become boundaryless and that everything flows together. Work is flowing into meals and meals, you know, work is flowing into family time. We're not taking breaks. Um, all those kinds of things, which are really bad health habits. So what we've seen in, in our family and what we've done, done is to have absolute boundaries. My work day starts at eight o'clock. My work day ends at five o'clock. It's not going to bleed over at all. And so I move, I shift absolutely from one activity to another. I think this notion of decompressing, which was the car drive home from work, listening to some music, right, is gone to a large extent now. So you've got to find a way to do that. So your idea of going for a walk, going to work out, taking some kind of break, right? Having conversations, but making a demarcation point between your activity during the day and your commitment to your family. And I think that sometimes we've seen families that just keep, working because they can and so they sort of start whenever it's possible in the morning and they just keep going all day and into the evening and that is very damaging for families and i think it's damaging for the career
0: just expanding on that a little bit warren you talked about boundaries um talk to me about how those boundaries are set right because i could tell myself i'm going to stop doing x but i only tell myself i'm going to and then tomorrow i'm still doing x it sounds to me that you've got a a methodology, an intention around setting boundaries and communicating those boundaries either within your work life and your family life or your blended life. Talk to me a little bit about setting those boundaries and and using intention to establish um, your your daily rhythm
1: so I so I think there are three great principles of leadership, and you've heard them before, Greg, but The first is clarity of vision. I think we have to know where we're going, what we're trying to achieve. I think sometimes we have to walk ourselves into our future one, three, five years down the road. We have to smell it, taste it, feel it, know what it's going to be like, really visualize it in a dramatic way. Walk ourselves backwards and to today and create the milestones or metrics that we have to get to get to that vision. So clarity of vision is the first important leadership principle. The great leaders that I've associated with over the years all have that. They know where they're going they know what their future is going to be like, right? There may be deviations to that and things that interrupt it and so forth, but for the most part, they know where they're going. The second one is certainty of intent. Once we know where we're going, we have to act on it intentionally all the time or we'll never get there. It's, if my goal is to climb Mount Everest, I need to be in training for that. I need to get the equipment for that. I need to know who my partners are, how I'm going to finance it, which route I'm going to take up, right? My vision is to climb Mount Everest, but I got to do all the other stuff. With, with real intent every day. And then the third great principle of leadership is power of values. It's how we live our lives every day with integrity, with intent. I believe in life by design. When my wife and I first got married, we spent four years designing our life, where we wanted to live, what our careers were going to be like, how many children we were going to have. You know, all of that stuff we laid down and we've pretty much lived our life the way we designed it when we were 21 to maybe through 25 years old. There have been certain things that we've deviated from. There have been surprises along the way, or there's been something unusual. So the notion of setting boundaries is really important. The point you wanted me to ask or to answer. Everything I know in my life, because I'm an athlete, I'm a jock, right? So everything I know is about playing on a field or a court or an arena. And there's a dimension to that, right? And when you play inside that, there are rules that govern the game. There are expectations about performance. When you step outside those boundaries, there aren't any rules. So I describe them as the negotiables and the non-negotiables. If you're in the field of play, the arena, the court, right, then you follow the rules and you can negotiate those rules to some degree. You can figure it out. Once you step outside that arena, there are non-negotiables, right? Right? So if our children, for example, step outside the, the court of our family or the field of our family, and they get involved in drug use, or they get involved in gang activities, or they get involved in alcohol or whatever it might be. For us in our family, those are non-negotiables. There are absolute consequences for that, and we're not gonna stop The Child has made a decision to go outside the boundaries of the family, and they are, or them will love them unconditionally, but they must suffer the consequences of their actions. If they're inside the field of play, we can help them. We can guide them, we can coach them, we can do a lot of things, right? We can buffer some of that. But once they make choices that go outside the field of play, they're on their own. I think this notion of having boundaries in our work life, in our families, in our community activities is really important. What's our field of play? What are the rules that govern that field of play? And what are the negotiables and non-negotiables associated with that? We try to get real clear on that. And this really been helpful to us and our family and our businesses as well.
0: It sounds like that's been a a life's work. You know, it's not something that you sit down one afternoon over a cup of coffee and you figure it out. You know, it it sounds as if this is something that you talk about, revisit, you know, annually, monthly, quarterly, you know, it's a process. It is. In it's fact, a way uh, of next, life.
1: And in fact, you're right, Greg. In fact, next weekend, uh, we have planned our family annual meeting. Our old, all of our children come together. Three days. Our oldest son and our daughter co-chair the event. My wife and I are advisors to the family now. And they create the agenda with our input. And we sit down and talk about those things that are important for our family. And so... It is, it is about planning. It's about, in the same way that you and I, Greg, as we build our companies, we have a specific plan. We have a specific goals and metrics and architecture. We'll go build with that building of a company. I've built 17 companies. And they're on culture. You focus on finance. You focus on markets. I mean, you have a plan to actually build something. I think that's true of a family. I think a family has to plan. It just doesn't happen spontaneously. Maybe think about it this way, Greg. When you and your wife got married, you were a startup. You're just a startup. You each brought your life experiences into your marriage. And it was each of you had a totally different startup. Life. <laughs> yeah, it was a startup. <clears throat> and then you decided to have children and get a career and so forth. And, and so now you're an early stage organization. And if you look at the life cycle of a corporation, it's very similar to the life cycle of a family. And so you get through this early stage, you begin to grow, you begin to develop, prices hit you, change hits you, all kinds of different things, choices and decisions you have to make, right? And then almost all families get to a period of, just like a corporation, a period of stagnation. Somewhere out there, things get kind of blah. They sort of get boring. Every day seems to be sort of just a repeat of the previous day. Now at that point, companies and families either reinvent themselves, or they start like an airplane going nose down into some catastrophic event, right? Divorce, children finding outlets that are not good, right? Some harm comes to that family unit. So we continuously need to reinvent, reinvigorate, reestablish our families and continue to grow the family, just like we do with companies. You know, I took over a company that was a billion dollars in revenue, we grew it to $2.1 billion in 30 months. I think you got to do that with families. We have to reinvent, recreate, strike out in new directions and build new structures. And I think if we do that with our family, our family is always exciting and fun. You you are aware that our family all lives together. All three generations live together on a little farm here in the middle of Tucson, Arizona. We've got 60 acres. The kids have built their homes. So when I go, my office, where we're talking from right now is five minutes from my home. So I drive home and we've got grandkids and kids everywhere. It's just fun. You know, that's what we want. It's not what everybody wants, but we want. And we designed that. We wanted our children living with us and have fun with us. They've all got their own careers. They're building businesses for them. Our CEOs, of their own companies, they're all doing great. But it's just, it's just this notion that that was our design. That's what we decided for ourselves. I think every family can make those choices. If you don't like living in New York, move out of New York, right? If you want to be a farmer, go be a farmer. Go do what what, what our heart tells us to do and our passion tells us to do. Let's enjoy life. Now, we've got about 80 years on planet Earth, right? According to current statistics and mortality, we've got about 80 years. 80 years in the history of the Earth is a nanosecond in time. Life goes so fast. Why wouldn't we be doing what we want to do and enjoying what we want to do? We do decide to do something we don't like. Why would we live in a place we don't like to live? Why would we get up unhappy? Life's about joy and life's about happiness. So let's go do what makes us happy. Sorry for that's that.
0: Right. And we're doing it right. We're that's dying, right. At least that's right.
1: That's exactly right.
0: You know, Warren. Just shifting topics a little bit um, for our audience. Tell us a little bit about your background. Like where you grew up, how you ended up where you are today. Kind of give us the the snippet. From day one to day today, um, your background. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you personally.
1: I, I give you try to give you the one-minute version, if that's okay. First of all, I was born and raised on a small, isolated farm near the Canadian border in Minnesota, cold, gray brewery. I stayed there until I was 12 years old. My dad was my greatest mentor and teacher, but our family worked together and we grew what we ate. I mean, we didn't have enough money to do anything. We were just poor. My dad became a pretty good farmer over time, bought a couple of farms, and then he decided we should move to California when I was 12. So we moved to Southern California near the beach, near Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, that area. And so I, I grew up in my teenage years being a surfer and playing basketball and, and loving the quality of life in Southern California. And then it came time to go off to college, and I had a couple hundred offers to play basketball, and I went, chose the University of Arizona, went down there. Third day I was there, I met this, this fantastic co-ed, two beautiful, smart, great at great personality. So I asked her out. She said, no, I couldn't believe it. I'm this really good looking chiseled out of granite guy. She says, no, I couldn't believe it. I asked her out the next week. She said, no, again, I asked her out the next no again. Well, the story goes, I asked her out 53 consecutive weeks. She said no every time the 54th week. I knew her boyfriend that she was dating had gone to his parents wedding anniversary for the weekend. So I knew she was, I got a chance, right? So I go ask her out and she says no for the 54th 50- Like men do sometimes, we get stupid. And I started singing and dancing and telling jokes and trying to get her to laugh. And Finally, she smiled and said, okay, I'll go out to dinner with you. So we went out to dinner. And by 1030 that night, we had decided there was no reason to date anybody else. So we decided we're going to have 15 kids. Why? Because my jersey number in basketball was number 15. And because my wife said that was also my IQ. So it all worked out really well, right? So uh, we didn't get there because we were told that it was biologically impossible for the two of us to ever have children we met a young doctor who'd done some work in fertility, long and short of it is that we have seven children, six boys and a girl. The girl's right in the middle and um, had a wonderful life. But during that four-year-old trying to have children, we studied and thought a lot about where we want to live. What do we want to do? For instance, we wanted to travel a lot. So we've traveled our whole life. We've been to 198 countries, children with us. And it's been a huge education for our children and my spouse and myself, right? Cultures, languages, religions. So uh, I think you can I think you can live and do what you want to anyway. Ended up applying for a White House fellowship, being chosen as a White House fellow, went to work for the vice president of the United States. He became he became president of the United States. I was the appointment secretary and cabinet secretary of the president, had a great time, learned a lot. Um, and then bought our first company really when I left the White House. So it was called Swift Ships, and it was a company that built cargo crew and utility boats in the offshore oil platforms down south of New Orleans in, in a place called Morgan City, Louisiana. We had the luck with that and we, we did a bunch of other companies. It's, uh, it's been a fun life. We're very fortunate.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, one final quest- question while we start wrapping up. Um, what's excited, what, do you, what do you get excited about for the future?
1: Well, I get excited for our grandchildren and the world they're going to live in, the children are gonna be largely responsible for changing the world in a positive and constructive way. I think my generation has left the world worse than our parents. And so I think we have some work to do in our remaining years here on earth. And I think we handed it to your generation, Greg, say, hey, this is the mess, get after it and figure it out. But the great hope for me is the millennials and the Gen Zs. I think they come with more knowledge, I think they come with more skills, uh, more awareness, more sensitivities. I think the world is in good hands. And even though we look at stuff that's kind of see today, climate change, for example, or very adventurism by certain countries, terrorism. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff out there. If you want to be scared and fearful and negative, you could get into that. That's not me. I think that uh, there are better minds. I think there are better people, better values that are coming Behind us, that are going to be phenomenal. I think it starts with your generation, and I think it continues with the children. And uh, so I'm very hopeful and very excited about what's going to happen in the world. I'm not a doomsday advocate. I don't believe the world's going to pieces. I, I live in an abundant world, not a scarcity world. I think that optimistic and positive is inherently better than being negative and scared all the time. So I think it's, again, life is a mindset. We decide every day. When we do that. What our mindset We can get up mad and get up angry. We can be unhappy. Or we can get up and be positive and excited and joyful and ready for the day. My dad told me there were two kinds of people that get up in the morning, right? The first kind of person jumps out of bed, says, Good morning, Lord, and they're ready for the challenge of a new day. The other person peeks out from under the covers and says, Good Lord, it's more that attitudinal difference is extraordinary between two people. It's just remarkable, right? And and I like the first. I I get up every day and I have a, a wife that wakes up smiling. Is happy and works all day to serve other people, and she's such a great example for me. It's positive, it's fun, it's exciting. You know that doesn't mean we don't have problems or challenges, but it's how we approach it. That's right. And I think we have we have the chance to be happy. Make the, make happy a choice.
0: Well, I suspect it's one of the reasons why we're friends. <laughs> <Because> we both <laughs> are very aligned uh, in that that positive attitude and appreciation for life and family values. Uh, Warren, if, if people in our audience are curious to find you, what's the best avenue? Are you on LinkedIn, Facebook, any of these social media craziness? Um,
1: yes, I've resisted that for, for decades. <laughs> but with the publication of the book, The Leader Within Us, I've really um, had to f- dot com. You can go to that web- website and you can find out everything about me how to get the book to speeches I make, to content that I put on Facebook. In fact, one of the things I did is I I did 18 episodes on Facebook when the pandemic started about how to think about the pandemic. And if you'll think back, Greg, there were many who thought this was going to be over in a few weeks. There were others who thought it was going to be over in a few months. But our family, all 32 of us gathered, I was traveling in China, Thailand, and Vietnam when we heard in China in January of 2020 that there was a small village. They were controlling. It was okay. By the time we got home, it was a pandemic. We gathered all 30 members of our family and said, okay, let's study 1918, 19, 1920, last pandemic hit the world. Let's study that and let's see what we learned. So we did, sat down together and said, okay, we need a long-term plan. So we built a two-year plan for our family, all 32, how to isolate, how to protect, how to, how to secure our businesses. We built a complete plan out for two years. That plan expires the last day of February this year, and so that's why our family is gathering the first weekend of March. It's to build the next plan, and believe uh, in planning, and we believe in thinking about it. We have a lot of knowledge now that we didn't have two years ago. It's two or three years of our lives knowing this virus is sticking around. It's not going anywhere. Affects our lives in different ways, and there will be new viruses. And there'll be new economic circumstances and there'll be new international adventure challenges, just like we're seeing in the Ukraine today.
0: It sounds like good content, Warren, for uh, your next book, right? You can do your your family planning, family, business planning. Um, you know, the the do's and don'ts with some templates and some you know exercises. It's uh that'd be really good content. I I was rem- I'm remiss to have not asked you about your book. Um, tell us a little bit about how that came to fruition. You said you, you've resisted the temptation for many years and you finally pulled the trigger.
1: Yeah, I did. I, it, for a long time, people have been asking me to write a book about the things I talk about and speak about and, and how we've thought about family. And so, and so I finally did, under some urging, even by my own family, I wanted to write about how do you live a life by design? what are the principles of finding your own life? And in there, I've included almost 30 stories of entrepreneurs and their families and what's happened to them and how they've lost everything and how they've rebuilt using these very principles of clarity of vision, certainty of intent and the power of values every day to build your life in a very, their stories, right? It's their stories. And then as a part of that, it's my story as well. So I write my life story parallel with the stories of these entrepreneurs and then include all of the principles that i use and that we use so it's it's really a, a recipe or a design piece an architectural piece of how you can actually live life if you want to and uh, so that's how it came about and and so this next book that i'm sort of thinking about the, the working title is how to build a happy successful high performance family how do you do that, was that? A, i was it. just kidding i didn't realize so we think there are very <laughs> specific ways yeah, we think there are very specific ways of building high performance families, just like build high performance companies using some of the same principles, right? So, yeah, so we're playing with that and having some fun with that and maybe that'll end up as a book as well. But yeah, so if somebody wants to find me, warrenrustdan.com is a good place to do it. It's a website where you can access anything you want, including my calendar for speaking. If you want to come and just sit in the audience sometime and hear me speak, that's fine too. Life is good and life is full and we're having fun. And I, Really appreciate you, Greg, because you set a high standard in your own life, and we great respect and admiration for you and what you're doing.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that, Warren, for sure. And for all those details for the folks out in the audience, that will be included in our show notes when we're, when we're published. So if you didn't write that down fast enough, uh, don't worry about rewinding and listening. Uh, just check out our show notes. Um, and if you enjoyed listening to this podcast and you think your friends or family would also enjoy it, please share it. We do want to broaden our audience, but Warren, it's been great connecting with you today. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Washington, DC, probably late March, early April. And uh, I can't wait to be uh, reunited with you and have some friendship and some talking. It'll be a lot of fun, but thank you for today. Thanks for the good questions you've asked. Thanks for allowing me to participate with you. And I can't wait to see you again. Thanks, Greg.
0: Thanks, Warren. I'll see you soon. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.